Stewart, and this is a uh, media show. Um, this one is is it my... is it now a media show? It's not a main show. Yeah, main show, main oh, show. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you're. Re-branding. I was thinking of the abris- the the um, initials TMS, and that was the word that came to mind. Okay, <laughs> I, I was like, maybe it's a rebranding thing, and I didn't. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, this one uh, was my choice. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the 1977 Japanese film House, or a good reason to not like watermelons. Yeah, and uh, this is why I've got my Japanese schoolgirl outfit on. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here naked and covered in blood, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, how many appendages are you missing? Uh, most of them. Oh. I had to start the recording with my nose. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Turning just... this page in my notebook is going to be real difficult. <laughs> well, I just got out of a piano, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start at the the beginning on this because, uh, like I was telling Stuart before we started, um, there, there's a, a a lot of interesting pre production stuff on this. Well, so before you start on that, let me just do oh. one thing. Um, so I was going to like, I guess like, fake that I watched the wrong house because boy, is there a lot of house like movies out there? Yes, so. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, yeah, I was waiting for the hand that was ringing the doorbell yeah. that was disembodied, but I just never saw it. And it's like, nope, that is the wrong house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like that, that movie itself has like three or four sequels. Um, oh, and then there's, you have to with contend with. Yeah. The one with the, the doorbell being uh, rung. Okay. Um, and then there you have to contend with like House of the Dead and mm-hmm. things like that. This like this is a very much a pre SEO uh, world. So yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you were able to find it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know um, the cover is actually very iconic. Um, I remember working at Barnes and Noble, and we had a Criterion collection. And I remember looking at that title and being like, or not title, the cover, and being like, oh, that's weird, but. This was actually my first watching of this movie. Yeah, it's it's really really cool. Like the um if you you if you're talking about the like the orange like bear cat, cat looking thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so that um poster art uh, there was a shirt that I really, really wanted, um, but the the pre-orders ran out. It was like one of those limited print tea things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, I got to get this. And it it sold out within, like, a matter of minutes. <laughs> well, it's a really cool, pr- like, it's a really cool design. Yeah. Because it's like a mixture between a cat, a bear, and uh, do you remember those clowns at, like, those, um, like, amusement yeah, like, parks? Po- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah throw the... balls at them? Mm-hmm. The, like, yeah, or down? spray water in their mouth to blow up a balloon. It, yeah. yeah, it kind of has that weird feel to it as well yeah it has that fun house vibe yeah exactly. um but uh but yeah so so sorry tangent (laughs) no 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 i mean that's what the show is um so in a post jaws world which would have been 1975 um toho who puts out like godzilla movies Mm -hmm. is mainly what they're known for uh they wanted a similar style script to jaws right (laughs) <laughs> um 
they hired a guy named Nobuhiko Obayashi to direct uh, or, or to develop a script rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so he discussed a lot of ideas that he had with his preteen daughter because. Yeah. So I, he I saw said, that uh, when I was doing research, like, yeah, <laughs> like a lot he, of these concepts are from his like daughter. Yeah, like his his thinking was that adults can only think about things that they understand. Mm-hmm. So everything stays on a boring and human level. Hmm. Um, several of her her ideas were actually used in the film. So like yeah, that's really the cool. scene with the uh, reflection attacking the viewer, the watermelon being pulled out of a well uh, yeah. that looks like a head, um, <laughs> the house that eats girls, like all of those things are her ideas. Yeah. Um, so Nobuhiko, um, shared the ideas with an actual screenwriter, uh, mm-hmm. for Toho named, uh, Chiho Katsura. Uh, and he was there. Chiho was reminded of a short story about a woman, uh, being visited by her granddaughters and she locks them in a trunk, mm. right? Like it, it was, it's, it's one of those like 1920s and thirties, like, horror stories that (laughs) that that were were popular in japan at the time that don't really translate (laughs) super well yeah yeah so uh obayashi then uh worked in some of the themes from hiroshima and nagasaki bombings uh into the script so he himself was born in Hiroshima and lost all of his childhood friends in those bombings. Um, he happened to not be in the city with his family. Um, when, when the bombs were actually dropped. Um, and so, you know, the theme of the movie is that a woman's ghost is awaiting her, her lover who died in world war two. Um, and then, and this should sound familiar, like it's a fairly common trope in, in Japanese horror. Um, you can look at it and see it in, in Ringu and Juon uh, and things like that. The The theme is that bitterness turns you into an evil spirit. Yeah. And it it's a spirit that devours the girls that were unaffected by the bombings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it, it follows eight, like, high school girls. Yeah. Going and visiting um, their grandmother, aunt uh aunt yeah her her aunt yeah Yeah. um and then obayashi then titled the script house uh because he felt that a foreign title for a japanese film would be thought of as is kind of taboo Mm. um i didn't know that yeah yeah so so the script itself was actually greenlit um after it was presented to toho but there were no directors that wanted to make it because they felt that their careers would be over if they made it. Um, Obayashi volunteered to direct it, but he wasn't really a staff member at Toho, so they they rejected him at first. Um, it didn't even start filming until two years after the script was turned in, which is oh, wow. a long time yeah. to be sitting on that, uh, especially then. Um just because, you know, in the 70s, they weren't spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a movie. So it, it was fairly uncommon for them to just sit on a script. Yeah. Um. So Toho finally allowed him to announce it and pass out promo materials, uh, mm-hmm. kind of kind of like as a form of viral marketing. Um, in the, the 60s, uh, 
he he kind of was known for a popular short film that that kind of made the university circuit. Yeah. Um. And so after mm-hmm. that, he had a, a fairly prominent TV commercial work. Um. So he was familiar with with the right way to to be marketing things. Mm-hmm. Um. So they they put out products uh, based on House that were released before filming ever took place, and some of those things are a manga. Uh, a novelization of the script, like in Choban format, mm. um, a radio drama based on the script, and then the soundtrack of the movie, which again had not been filmed yet. Yeah, <laughs> um, just the, like hear some sounds. <laughs> yeah, like the the majority of the actors uh, were not established. Um, they're mainly people that he worked with on commercials that he filmed. Hmm. Um, the guy that plays Mister Togo. Uh, is actually a country music singer from the time named Kiyohiko Ozaki. Hmm. Uh, and he was solely cast because he and Obayashi were friends uh, because <laughs> they they both had a shared love of horseback riding. Um, so they, they met while horseback riding and got along and he was like, oh, hey, you're a country singer. Do you want to be in my horror movie? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say the music was pretty good in this movie. Yeah. 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 The, well, and... and um, yeah, I mean, he he doesn't really play like I think there's a couple scenes where he's like strumming a guitar and, and yeah. singing, but yeah, like the the soundtrack itself is good, but a lot of that I think has to do with it being kind of put out um, before the movie was even oh, filmed. Movie, like yeah. they they had to really nail down these the, the these themes and everything to to make everything fit right. <laughs> <laughs> so they were kind of filming to like around a lot of the materials that he already had created mm-hmm. um the uh the other thing that i saw with this though is that uh crew members and family kind of rounded out the cast for him um <laughs> so like his his daughter uh actually plays the little girl uh oh, and then the shoemaker is actually played by the production uh designer on it mm-hmm. um now obayashi claims that his producer told him that toho was tired of losing money on comprehensible films so they were they were willing to let him make an incomprehensible film (laughs) um i mean it's it's really like watching it this again first time watching it it was psychedelic it was very yeah it's very much of the time like they and and you know toho like that that's kind of a funny anecdote that they were like yeah well we've lost a lot of money on comprehensible films you can make your your weirdo film yeah but um you know they they officially greenlit it because and allocated it a a fairly significant budget Mm -hmm. um after the radio drama was so successful Mm. um so you know this he was able to film on two of Toho's largest sets for over two months without a single storyboard. Um, that's, that's how much like, yeah. they were, they were gambling on, on this movie. Um, <clears throat> so he, Obayashi recalls that uh, the attitude on set was very upbeat. Um, you know, he apparently would skip sing. He would play quiz games with the younger <laughs> cast members because, you know, they, they would be taking these quiz games because they're still studying for tests and stuff. Yeah. And so he would like in between takes when they whenever they would be studying, he would he would help them like play these quiz games. Oh, um, cool. The uh, the Toho crew felt that the, the film was nonsense. 
And so <laughs> he didn't have a whole lot of help from like official Toho staff making it, which yeah. is why a lot of the crew was like friends of his. Um, <laughs> because there were inexperienced actors, he couldn't really give verbal direction that worked for them. So yeah. he, what he would do is play the soundtrack to set the mood and the atmosphere for the actors, which again, like it's helpful that they had that soundtrack to go yeah. off of. Yeah. Huh. Um, now because of his experience with TV commercials and him having some special effects experience, um, the, he and the director of photography oversaw special effects. So he purposely made the, uh, effects look unrealistic and like a child created them. Hmm. Uh, the, so like the scene where prof vanishes in blood, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, he had her suspended while nude and then poured buckets of blue paint <laughs> on her to oh. create a blue screen chroma key, um, and Whoa. make it look like her body was deteriorating on camera. Uh, that's, that's really like, yeah. Uh, some of the, like, I guess special effects that they did were yeah. really like amazing at of yeah, especially considering like it's it's seventy seven. Like yeah. that's like I I like the the fact that he would think to do that of going okay, well we know that you're going to need to disappear for this, so we're just going to hang you horizontal or horizontally and then drip blue paint on you, and then we'll take that out later. Yeah, um, that's super I, cool. So, like, he wasn't a special effects artist, though. So, like, to underscore this, the outcome of what this would look like was kind of unknown until the film was actually completed. Like, because, again, this is not like Jim Cameron having, um, you know, motion capture translated to CG on Avatar. Like, Mm. they're having to do this and they're like, well, hopefully we can fix it in post. Yeah, hopefully this works. (laughs) Um. Now, I wasn't able to find many, like, contextual reviews from when it was initially released. Um, a lot of the ones that I did find were really negative. Um, oh, really? It did not get good reviews until it screened in North America. Um, oh, I would... So it didn't do well in um, Japan? Not Well, not among the critics in Japan. Um, yeah. So, like, the, here, the Seattle Times gave it three out of four stars. The New York Post gave it three and a half out of four. Yeah. Um, and then also, they compared Obayashi to Dario Argento and uh, Guy Madden, which... I don't, I'm not familiar with Guy Madden, but, um, or Guy Madden, if he's French. Um, Dario Argento is a well-known horror movie director. <laughs> um, and that's, that's really high praise. Um, oh, wow. Cause I know yeah. you're not as familiar with horror, but, or not. like mm-hmm. the roots of horror, but like, yeah, Dario Argento is like Suspiria is probably the thing he's most well-known for. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Inferno, but they're, they're like, he would make, uh, Italian, um like pulp horror movies and so he's he's very well known and very well regarded um so for this first time director like film director to be compared to him it says a lot yeah um in uh 2009 uh though uh kinema jumpo which is a japanese film uh, criticism magazine Mm -hmm. uh ranked it 160 out of 200 of the top japanese films um wow and when so so a criterion like when did it get accepted like uh probably around around then oh nine mm. 
08, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say that Kinema Junpo was actually started in July of 1919. So it's, it's more like a professional journal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a lot like Kahir du Cinema. Um, it's, it's, a well-regarded in Japan. I, I don't know in America how well it's regarded, but I mean, you know, 1919 is around the start of when films were being commercially released. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like they've been around a while. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's it as far as my notes on the pre and post production. Um I guess first off, since I know you're not a huge horror fan, with this being a horror comedy, yeah. Um, how did you like that? Yeah, so it's not like the like jump scare sort of horror. Again, it's more of a like the change in tone was very odd. And again, you know, it's, it's definitely an odd movie. Where yeah, it's, like, it's very weird. Lovely, like, <laughs> you know, we're riding off into the sunset on this horse and stuff like that. And then you get into this like weird sort of like fishbowl piano thing or like a head biting this girl's butt or something along those lines where it just kind of, yeah, gets <laughs> strange. But then like, you know, you have like, this girl who like loses a bunch of like fingers and like starts... while playing piano. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, so it's not like the, it's nothing <clears throat> like the ring, you know, like, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not like a straight horror movie. Like mm-hmm. it, it was a lot of these things were even at the time played for laughs. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. her playing the, the piano and then the piano eats her fingers. Like it's so telegraphed that yeah. when it happens and if she has such a dramatic reaction to it, like even at the time they would have seen that as funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say kind of is a little slow at the beginning. It is. But not it's until... also not very long too. Mm-hmm. Like that slow section is probably only like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then the rest of it is just super fast violence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And once they get into the aunt's house and everything along those lines, that's when, um, you know, things start picking up when you find out that the house is haunted or they're like, you know, poltergeists and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I really did enjoy this movie. Um, oh, well, I'm glad to hear that because um, it's weird like don't get me wrong it's, yeah it's definitely... very strange yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and but again, i was kind of nervous about whether or not you would actually have fun watching it because i was like okay i kind of want something spooky for what will probably be a halloween episode yeah um but but i didn't want to pick something that's like just hardcore vi- like a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie from like like Wizard of Gore or something like yeah. that. Like I didn't want to do that because that that would have been way too weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that would have just it would not be in in like my wheelhouse or anything along those lines. Exactly. Um, this is definitely yeah, it doesn't take itself too serious and it, it is, you know, absurd and everything, but it definitely has a story to tell. 
like you know there's a storyline that i can follow and yeah i do think that it takes a lot of like risks and challenges like there's a lot of cool um camera tricks where i I think like some of the background or foreground was like painted or were like pictures and stuff like that yeah uh which i thought was like super cool and everything yeah like the the psychedelic special effects in this are really awesome Mm -hmm. i i think like i like that style of special effects like even though i know it looks hokey now um like it's it's just so like you can tell how it's done from a modern perspective Mm -hmm. but it's still effective like it's still creepy kind of (laughs) yeah and and this house that's coming alive and eating everyone you know yeah and you know it's it's really interesting like how each one of the girls um ends up like perishing inside the house and yeah it's it's definitely so i wasn't exactly sure what i was going into and um you know i was pleasantly surprised because again it's not like a i mean would you consider this a true horror movie um i mean it's so it's kind of like if if we use american standards on what is a horror movie mm-hmm. this would definitely be along the lines of like a horror comedy you know yeah. like cabin in the woods or or tucker and dale versus evil like something like that maybe yeah. cabin fever um <laughs> yeah but but not really a hundred percent horror mm-hmm. by japanese standards it's kind of a con- like there are things in there that are played for laughs but i think a lot of it was too downplay some of the tension just because Mm -hmm. if you watch a lot of their other horror movies this this is kind of in line um Hmm. you know especially with you know the bitterness turning you into an evil spirit like that that whole trope in there um like that's that that is a like a a superstition or a or a folklore belief Hmm. I, i didn't know that yeah 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 so so like i mean you know that that's it's why you know the ring and juon are the biggest examples of it but like you even have it in um short stories by edogawa rampo from um i think like he was writing in the 30s Hmm. 20s and 30s that are like that um you know they they focus on on bitterness like just corrupting a person to the point of driving them to like hurt other people yeah but I will say, like, with The Grudge and The Ring, I remember, you know, those, like, really creeping me out. And, like, you know, you think back on those or you have, like, nightmares about those particular movies and stuff like that. Like, this movie didn't give me, like, nightmares or anything. Along those yeah. Lines. It, it yeah. definitely, um, I guess, rounded its edges with the comedy yeah like there is a whole lot more comedy and and honestly i think it's it's a lot more it it might not even be comedy to me so much as um like surrealism like Mm -hmm. that cat that oh yeah it's kind of everywhere yeah (laughs) like like it's it's surreal like it's it uses a lot of dream logic and Mm -hmm. i think that's what makes it less frightening 
Like yeah. it's it's like scenes like uh when she sort when, of that, uh, that that train scene, that like animated train scene was yeah exactly like it's it's things that are are not necessarily happening in the real world so it kind of softens that that edge whereas like juan and ringu both are just all edge all the time yeah laugh in those like it's incidental like it's not intended yeah yeah where you're just kind of like on the edge of your seat like i felt very relaxed as i was you know watching this yeah and yeah like i said i think a lot of that has to do with this because i mean this like i think you'll see it a lot of times in the hor- like with other horror comedies um like if you were to go to videodrome this they they might have a horror comedy section yeah um, <laughs> for those not in atlanta videodrome is kind of like a kind of like a more pretentious artsy blockbuster yeah, but it's like, it's doing well. Like you know, I'm. Oh, I can imagine. Like people are stuck inside. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, Blockbuster got killed off by um, yeah, Amazon, not Amazon, um, Netflix, and everything like that. So there's I'm, one left, one left in Portland. I really oh, want to really? go there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that there was one. It's yeah. Well, so like Blockbuster, the company failed right mm-hmm. like they they had to shut their doors but this one blockbuster owner um basically paid for the licensing of it so yeah it's it's legitimately a blockbusters it's just not a corporate blockbusters interesting <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know. yeah which it's apparently hurting apparently with the pandemic so yeah you know if you live in oregon go to the last blockbuster yeah i think it's in eugene oh that's cool I, have a I, I think there. it's it's I either in Eugene or short like like a little bit outside of it. Let's let's go down this tangent real quick because this is this is like a like a rented horror movie type thing. So this is this is kind of uh, related. Yeah, the last blockbuster. Well, yeah, uh, Video Dome is definitely a, a more like if you're trying to look for obscure videos to rent. Uh, video dome has it i mean is it video dome even a uh an obscure horror movie yeah video dome is is a uh it's so it's it's funny enough funny that you mentioned that um video dome is is a movie that david cronenberg directed and i love david cronenberg and I toyed with putting that on here, but I've never it seen would it. So honestly, gross you out too much. Okay. I think is it a lot <laughs> of like body horror. Yes, yeah. Cronenberg does a lot of body horror, so there's a lot of like real wet, slick looking. Yeah, yeah. Like because there's there's body people horror in... reaching into their own stomach and pulling out things that are organic and metal mixtures. Like it's uh. it's it's a really weird. Um, movie that i i do really like yeah but again it's <laughs> yeah um it's probably not up your alley <laughs> the thing is like there is body horror and like not like true body horror in this movie but you know they they definitely play around with like blood and like you know one of the girls ends up getting eaten by the aunt and stuff like that um yeah there's there's some light vore stuff in here yeah so i mean but it it all was on a very like 
not joking manner, but like a very easy to digest (laughs) (laughs) Um, sort of thing where it it didn't feel bad. Not bad, but you know, it didn't feel weird. Yeah. You kind of get what I'm I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, so the last blockbusters in Bend, Oregon. So Bend, I Oregon. I um, yeah, I'm not familiar with Bend. Um. Yeah. All right. So okay, so yeah, it's pretty significantly far away. Never mind. It's <laughs> so like if we're like if Eugene is south of Portland, looking at a map. Um, yeah. The distance between, yeah, so like the distance between Portland and Eugene is the same as the distance between Bend and uh, Eugene. Oh, okay. um, it's it's more on the desert side of Oregon in the west. Hmm. Interesting. It's, it's near Nevada and Idaho, um, or closer to it than Portland. So yeah, it's it's less foresty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, never mind. <laughs> take that um, back <laughs> so that was a useless tangent but there if if you hey. are in bend oregon please visit the last blockbuster because it's a treasure yeah <laughs> and it's not useless like people maybe somebody in bend didn't know and they're like oh i listened to these podcasters and now i know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. On on the map, um, we have a handful of people that listen in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, that's but cool. um Yeah, mainly it's it's people in the south, mm-hmm. east, and then northeast Makes and sense. Pacific Northwest and then West Coast generally, like San Francisco, some in LA. And then we have a whole lot in um Ireland, Australia, France, and Zambia. Zambia. Where's yeah, Zambia? Yeah, uh, Zambia is, I believe it's in Africa. Huh, interesting. I mean, we're just humble bragging um, now. Yeah, it's oh. in southern central Africa. So <laughs> hello to Zambia. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, some Croatia's in there too. Hello, Croatia. I've always wanted to visit you. Anyway, we should talk about (laughs) us. I don't know what to say other than I really like this movie. Like it, it's one of those movies that I will put on every, every few months. And especially in the fall, Mm -hmm. I will put it on um, just because it's got this kind of weird spooky vibe, but it's not one of those. that's like pants shittingly terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see you like watching this. Yeah. Like in the background while you're doing something. Yeah, like it's it's spoopy versus spooky. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's 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 more I wouldn't say cute. It's not like, you know, Fleischer animated skeletons dancing. Yeah. Right? But thinking like spooky, scary skeletons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's not like that, but it's it's definitely not as terrifying as any other horror movie I've ever seen. Like even Cabin in the Woods, um, or Tucker and Dale versus e- Evil is 
more, more scary. scary. Yeah. It's like this is very much lighthearted. Um, it's R because there is nudity and gore it, in yep. it. But I mean, I would I would show this to a kid. Like if a kid wanted to like was clamoring <laughs> to see it. Yeah, like I mean like how young? Um I mean, depends on the kid. Like if the, if they were like a whole horror movie fan, like whatever. Like it, like there's more terrifying things for them to see. Like Friday the Thirteenth is something that I would not let. But that's R as well, right? Uh, yes, yeah, it okay. is. Uh, yeah, no, that that's like a hard R. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, like if I had a kid, I mean, I don't know. Like I'm not the best judge of this because I've I've said before that like growing up if it was media like my parents didn't really restrict it like I, obviously they wouldn't like just freely oh. let me watch porn like things that were wholly inappropriate but like <laughs> like if it was a movie mm-hmm. like that's fake like okay yeah you want to watch that okay sure yeah. i mean you want to read this book okay go for it read like i was i read it when i was in like sixth grade yeah <laughs> like it wasn't really restricted to me because it's stuff that is ultimately isn't harmful and doesn't hurt you. <laughs> True. Um, but here's the thing. Would, uh, would you think that the kid would have like nightmares or like, because there are some perspectives written from like, you know, a kid's perspective. So do you think that would like affect kids a little bit more? since you know i mean maybe i like the the um yeah i mean i don't know like again it it depends on the kid really like if the kid doesn't like horror movies then no like i'm not gonna be like sit down you have to watch this because it's amazing (laughs) it's a criterion collection you gotta watch them if you don't like horror movies, then yeah. But I mean, like the Criterion Collection also has things like Solo in it, which is, I think the subtitle to that movie is like A Hundred Days of Sodom. Like the Criterion Collection just means that like they think it's a, a historical, well-regarded yeah. movie. <laughs> that it did something unique and changed the game. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, it... it the, and I can definitely it, see how this kind of changed things you know how this changed uh yeah i mean it definitely changed the scope of like japanese horror at -hmm. least um i i feel like without this you don't really get ring ringu or uh juon yeah and even some of the technical like aspects of this uh just the way that they had to be so innovative um I think is amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I, I highly recommend this to people. Um, especially if you like, like roots horror movies. Yeah. I, um, I would recommend this as well. Um, I think that this is a lot of fun. Um, it's not like super scary, but, uh, yeah. It's uh, and I think you can watch it a Halloween party. Honestly. Yeah. With... Yeah, you can just sort of like have it on the background or in the background. I think that like you can watch it or watch like little, uh, I guess, like bits of it 
and not be lost. Like, you know, it's, you won't get the entire story, but you can be like, oh, that's weird and somewhat funny. Ha ha ha. And watch it for like, you know, two minutes and then go off and do something else for Halloween or, or, you know, at the Halloween party or something like that. Yeah. Like I've always wanted, you know, when, when pandemic shuts down, yeah, I've always wanted to just have like string a bunch of horror movies in a loop and just start it during the day on Halloween. And yeah. And just yeah, have people just like over. How going. Just have yeah. people over celebrating stuff. Yeah, like, that. like you know, some people um, could be like talking, and then they look at the TV and they go, "Oh, that's weird." You know, yeah. woman's getting like crushed by pillows, huh? And then move on to like to death by pillows. Yeah, and then like move on, or like, yes. you know, if somebody's really interested, they could sit down and like enjoy and ingest the entire movie yeah exactly um it's it's definitely something that you can just put on and like you said to like walk around the house do other things or have it playing during a party and people can sit and watch if they want or not mm-hmm. if they don't <laughs> yeah um it's it's fairly inoffensive i think um yeah i mean i don't think somebody would like watch it and be like oh that that offends me i'm going to leave or something like yeah because i mean like you said like there's there's blood there's some vor stuff in here but it's yeah, not kind of it's, it's cartoony it's yeah. not it's not like realistic looking blood it's like orange paint yeah and you can tell <laughs> like you know the um the like limbs are rubbery and you can tell that they're very fake and everything yeah exactly um yeah it's it's not it's not the gore and body horror that a a modern version of this would probably try to do mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so yeah i i definitely don't want to see this movie remade like i like this is one of those movies that it's like leave it it's fine it's yeah, fine i think it. it would lose a lot of its like um appeal if it was remade and like you know used better technology and everything along those lines i think you know with it being what it is right now uh gives it a lot of its charm yeah exactly um so yeah um with that it sounds like it's a it's a recommend from both of us yeah um let me see Mm -hmm. um then that moves us into me me me's yeah so um i can start off this time okay um so i got three things i have uh two movies and a tv show okay i've Um, got two things but one's kind of longish oh okay well cool so um yeah the uh i'll start off then the um first thing that i did is uh my wife and i watched a horror movie or a sci-fi horror movie um that i really love from I think 96, maybe, maybe 97, mm-hmm. called Event Horizon. Uh, have oh, you ever seen I've it? heard of it. Was it a book? Uh, no, no, oh, it was. Okay. Uh, so so it kind of came out around the same time as Sphere, which is mm-hmm. what a lot of people um, remember it. Conflate <laughs> this movie with. Ah. Uh, because so Event Horizon is about a ship called the Event Horizon that kind of folds space and moves. Mm-hmm. Um, Cool. It 
they lose track of it and it blips back into existence somewhere outside of, I think, Jupiter, maybe. Mm -hmm. And so the research team or the rescue team, rather, is going out there with the person that designed the ship to see Mm -hmm. where it went. And when they break into it, uh, there's no crew and there's just horrific violence on the inside. And so the premise of the movie is that it, it warped to hell and back. Oh, (laughs) yeah it's a really cool movie it's very gory it's not very scary like at the time it was like it's it's a horror movie but it's Mm -hmm. not i wouldn't call it a scary horror movie um the guy that directed it went on to direct the resident evil movies so it's about that level of of horror scary yeah yeah um but it's it's a really cool movie. It's got Sam Neill in it. Uh, he, it's Alan Grant. Like I think this is his first role after Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jurassic Park, and then and then this. Event Horizon, and then Jurassic Park Three. Which, <laughs> oh man, that is a terrible, terrible movie. Um, but yeah, no, Event Horizon's really cool. Um, I definitely recommend it for uh, the spooky times mm-hmm. that are. That are upon that are us. Upon us. Are soon <laughs> to be upon us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, other than that, I um don't really have anything other to say on it other than um watch it if you like uh other things to compare it to, probably like Hellraiser. Like it's got that same sort of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. like of people going to hell and being tortured and things like that <laughs> i've never seen hellraiser or uh hellraiser hellraiser yeah hellraiser i mean yeah. I, it's it's I know really the cool. iconic like pin face guy yeah pinhead yeah but other than that i really don't know much about that movie okay well yeah so so it's a little bit more body horror than this is like this one is straight up like late 90s um mm-hmm. horror where it's like oh here's some barbed wire around an obviously fake leg because cameras aren't high def yet so when yeah. you watch them on a high def tv you can tell it's fake oh. <laughs> <laughs> um because because yeah like i i don't know if if you know a whole lot about like like the way that that high def translates but like uh, special effects need a little bit of blurriness to really look more realistic yeah and so the higher and higher def something becomes the less and less realistic it looks yeah. um, like i think during the avatar episode i was saying that that i saw it playing on a screen when we were looking for our first like flat screen mm-hmm. and it was on this big like 70 inch sony bravia or brevia and it it looked very fake and yeah. very funny. <laughs> uh, not good. <laughs> yeah. You need a little bit of distance for it to look right. Yeah. Just to like, Oh, okay. This looks all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's one of those type horror movies. If you watched it on a modern television, like it, you would not be scared because everything you can tell, even if it's like, like disassembled body parts it's like okay that's very much what i i could buy in a spirit halloween and just wrap <laughs> some barbed wire around <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice. um so yeah 
that's that's me for Event Horizon. All right. Well, um, I actually watched the movie too. It's not a horror movie, but it is uh, How to Train Your Dragon. I've never seen any of those three movies, and I ended up watching the uh, first one. Just a while oh, ago. cool! That that entire trilogy is really good. Yeah, I um. So again, like I've heard people talk about it. Um, I heard, you know, that it's a very strong uh, DreamWorks uh, just production and everything. Yeah. But I don't know. I never really got around to um, watching it. Like, I know the characters like Toothless and Hiccup and everybody. But um, I finally, you know, sat down. I was like, I'm going to try to watch like one movie per month just so I can watch the three movies. And um, it's interesting because those movies, like, I guess the first one came out in um, 2010 or 2011. The second one came out. Yeah. The second one came out in um, 2014. And then the third one came out in 2019. So um, since the first one was like 2011, it was still when DreamWorks was kind of like figuring themselves out and everything like that. So the animation or I guess the digital animation isn't perfect, but I really love like the expression that they gave to the dragons. Like, you know, Toothless is basically a cat. Yeah, yeah, he really is. (laughs) and, And I love that. And I do love like the story that they portray and everything like that. You know, I do like that, you know, Hiccup is this Viking and it's so funny because they're like Vikings, but they give them like Scottish accents. It's like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mixing and matching in the world that I really liked. Yeah. And then they throw out like all sorts of like Nordic uh, deities, like, by Thor or like by Odin's beard or something like that. So it was, it was clever, but it, I really like the tone of like, you know, Hiccup doesn't fit in. He's more of a thinker than like a, you know, a strong bruiser and everything along those lines. Well, and this, so. and this isn't a, I wouldn't think that this is a spoiler on that either, but um, one of the really important things that that i remember about it because like my wife and i watched this a while ago or the Mm -hmm. the trilogy a while ago but one of the things that i saw that i was like oh i bet that's really empowering to people that have like children that have physical disabilities um is that hiccup is missing his leg yeah so at the very end um and that's another great concept is like there are consequences to actions. Like, you know, it it doesn't feel like, because at the very end, you know, uh, Hiccup ends up kind of like sacrificing himself, not sacrificing himself, but like taking a, um, a risk. And, you know, sometimes when you take a risk and it pays off, you're going to come across, you know, you're going to come out of it different you're going to come out there's you know consequences to actions but you know um toothless is also he uh is kind of i guess uh disabled as well and uh, i really enjoy you know kind of that like parallel and everything along those lines and yeah yeah, they don't um, 
they don't uh, use like it. A yeah, and they don't show it as more of a weakness, as more as a hurdle to get over and become stronger. Exactly. And I think it's also really cool that they end up like aging hiccup. Like I haven't seen the other two um, movies, but I saw the covers of it in real time. Yeah, Yeah. in real time, and it's like you know you get like a development of a character where he's not like the same age forever. So I I really enjoyed. I I thought it was a great movie. Um, I know that like everybody's been telling me how good it is, so it was just bound for me to finally sit down and actually watch it and i was super happy that i did um you know i do think that some of the side characters could have used a little bit more time to be more developed like you know hiccups crew of younger um i guess kids that he roams with and stuff like that and you know there's also the disney trope of like him and i guess the girl, I forget the girl's name, but like, you know, you know how you get a girl to like you? Threaten her by trying to kill her. <laughs> Throw her in a tree and be like, until you, you know, see it my way, I'm not letting you out of this tree. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, that's how things work. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that was, you know, that's always a trope that you know, Disney and Tyrion works have to work around or like have to kind of move past, hopefully. But, um, but yeah, nonetheless, I really enjoyed this movie and I'm really looking forward to watching the second and third one and sort of seeing like how they develop the, um, the story and how they build the world. Cause the world's pretty cool. I like all yeah, the I, dragons and it I, was cool to have like that encyclopedia of dragons where he was like looking through the it and like yeah, it's up really their... cool that they have that. Yeah, and then again, like I forget all the kids' names, but there's another kid who like kind of rattles all D and D stats for the dragons. He's like, yeah, ah, yeah. it has like plus two quickness. <laughs> it's like okay, I get Which, you, little kid. No, like I, I think it would be fun to kind of hack together a a uh, game of this. Yeah, like setting it in the world like that. It 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 strikes me as as a missed opportunity. Like I don't know if you remember the um or have seen the A twenty four movie that's coming out called The Green Knight, where they released like a legit role playing game. Oh no, materials for it. But yeah, like I feel like something like that. Granted, like the target audience for How to Train Your Dragon is a little skews a little bit younger. Yeah, but I'm kind of surprised they didn't do any of that with with the marketing. Hmm, yeah um because i could definitely see playing a game at least a video game in this yeah world. i mean they should take it from um night circus put out a game with your uh piece of media yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah that was uh one of the movies that i watched over over the week okay cool um yeah so the the next thing that i did was uh the um documentary uh, eye of the beholder and it's a look at i want to say that it came out to support the art and arcana book that has oh, yeah the new D book 
Yeah. So, so do you I know if that book's or... gotten like good praise, or have you heard anything? Sorry to like. Oh yeah, no. Um, Art and Arcana is is uh, I've only leafed through it, but it's um it's a like it's a the definitive collection of all of the art from D and D from. Oh, original. oh, so it's not a supplement. No, 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 no. It's oh. it's like a retrospective. Like it's a it it would be a nonfiction. Okay. Okay. I thought maybe it was like a supplement book for uh D D. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, the and and I the Beholder was actually released. It's like the video version of that, but they, they look at the um it, I think people could refer to them as the four horsemen of D D's art. Um hmm. who were uh Larry Elmore, uh Keith Parkinson, who unfortunately um is no longer alive. Yeah. Um they, they interview his son pretty extensively in this, which I, I did like. Because, yeah, when I saw it was about uh, Elmore, Keith Parkinson, Clyde Cunningham, and Jeff Easley. Mm-hmm. Um, like, those four guys are kind of responsible for how D&D in first and second edition looked. Yeah. Uh, more specifically, second edition. Um, they also interview a guy named Errol Otis, who did a lot of the first edition stuff. He, he has that, that look to his monsters that look like round and bubbly. Yeah. Right. Like kind of, kind of like they're made out of marshmallows almost, which I kind of like, like I, I, it's, it's very evocative to me. If you're going for like, there's, there's no surprise to me that he does a lot of work with, um, Goodman games for dungeon crawl classics. Hmm. Like it, it evokes to me almost immediately the look of a retro clone or like an OSR product. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Larry Elmore is probably hands down my favorite D and D artist. Um, he, he has a very specific looking dragon. Like he did a lot of the Dragonlance stuff. Um, that's cool. It's, it's funny in, in his section, he was like, he's a, he's a good old boy from, from like Oklahoma or Texas. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, he was saying that, that, uh, the way he got hired at TSR is that they, some, someone liked his art there and Brian Bloom, you know, one of the, the majority stakeholders in TSR, um, flew down to wherever he was based out of (laughs) and said, um, you know, name, name, name your price. Uh, and, and, uh, you can come work for us. And he's <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I, you know, it gets pretty cold in Wisconsin, doesn't yeah. it? And, and he's like, I'll double it. And he's like, <laughs> I don't know. He's like, I'll triple it. And he's like, all right, you just bought right. yourself an artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a lot Which, of money to say no to. Yeah, which I don't think he he never gave the number, but it must have been pretty significant to get someone who was living in Texas to move to or Oklahoma, whichever, to move yeah. to Wisconsin and deal with that level of cold. Yeah. Um, Clyde Cunningham did a lot of the like module work, and then Jeff Easley did a lot of the paintings for the the um like the books and the like marketing and promo materials and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of look at those those four guys and how they they influence the art of um D D and how it, it kind of changed over the years oh that's really cool um but yeah i highly recommend it's not very long either it's only like 70 or 80 minutes i think mm-hmm. um and i think it's free with prime on amazon 
Um, So I do definitely recommend it if you're at all interested in like the origins of D&D and how it was in the the late 70s and through the 80s and early 90s. Um, Just because that like 20 year period, or not even 20 years, it was, was that like 15 years ish? Um, Like a lot of the artwork and stuff from that is stuff that I grew up with in my childhood. So when I, like I'm looking at my bookshelf right now at my like D my, uh, Dragonlance books. And, and it's like, yeah, that artwork that like, I looked at those books all, or I read those books over and over, but like, I've looked at those covers a lot. And so, yeah. so a lot of the, the art and stuff from it, like little Elmore's covers for Dragonlance, just like stick in my head is like, this is what D and D looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was my second thing. Okay. Well, uh, my second thing, which is going to be a, a bit of a long one is, uh, I, attended uh, attended i guess um dragon con Con goes virtual um and it was actually quite a lot of fun um i know we had kind of discussed if we were going to cover this convention just because the convention did have quite a lot to do and i guess they came out with the schedule like a few days after or not after before the actual um convention yeah i Um, when i was looking at it like i i couldn't find any schedule i think i texted you like yeah like like three days um, prior three or four days before yeah (laughs) and you're like uh, you know and we were both kind of like thinking well I guess it's kind of like a grab pot where like you would go online and whatever's happening at the moment, I guess that's what you're watching. But I did go on their Facebook um, and found like an actual schedule. So I was really thrilled about that. Um, Dragon Con is definitely a convention that I try to go to. It's a big one here in Atlanta. It's, a i guess what they would consider like a fan convention because it's not like a comic-con or there's no particular um i guess big corporation like creating this convention and it focuses a lot more on like cosplay on like fan panels and things along those lines so you know I'm, i'm definitely like vibing and wanting conventions so i was happy to sort of find the um actual schedule and i i went to a couple of the panels um i i'm not going to go into detail on like all the panels and everything but one of the uh first panels i actually went to was a um dnd improv panel that dad's garage here in atlanta put on and Dad's Garage is an improv group, and they're fantastic. I've been to a couple of their shows here in Atlanta. Um, they do such a great job. I've even been to some of their like improv D and D groups or like shows and stuff like that. So it, they're always super funny, and they had a con host on there as well. The guy from um, Whose Line Is It Anyway and uh, the Drew Carey Show. 
Yeah, they had uh, Colin Mockery. Oh, and... Colin Mockery, not Colin he... Host. I'm sorry. Yeah, he wasn't the host. It was a uh, Co- yeah, Colin Mockery, and um, they also had the voice act a voice actor from Archer, I think, called Lucky Yates. He, yeah. he voices the Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Lucky Yates, he was um he I think started off in at Dad's Garage. And I think another person from Archer also started off at Dad's Garage. The um, the HR lady from yeah, Pam, Pam, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was, it was hilarious. Um, I'm glad that I was able to watch it. The only issue that I had with Dragon Con's, um, I guess production. So they had all of their uh, events. They had three different streams, but the streams were actually like just video streams that they streamed on their website. So it wasn't like through Twitch or through YouTube or through another like streaming flat platform. You actually had to go to DragonCon's website, click on like, you know, they had three, like, I guess, panels, the main panel, the fan panel, and then, like, Dragon Classics. Con TV, where they would show old Dragon Con, uh, like... Like, celebrity panels and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, they had pre-recorded from previous years. So you'd click on that, and then it just kind of opened up a, um, a video player, and you would watch it. Uh, which kind of took away from the interaction aspect um which i somewhat enjoyed with uh like the adult swim con where it was hosted on twitch so you would have like a chat that you could you know chat with people who enjoyed like the same fandom and everything and you could kind of have that connection there was definitely a disconnect from the panels and you know none of these panels were actual um i guess q and a's (laughs) unless the questions were submitted prior. So it wasn't like, you know, people could in real time submit questions or anything like that. If it was a Q&A panel, people would have to submit like questions previously. Yeah. Um, now, I, I will say, um, even though I, I, I only um, took part in, in one thing with it this year, I was really impressed with the amount of content that they had because they had three yeah. channels streaming 24, well, not 24, 24 hours a day for four days. For four days, which is amazing. Yeah, it really is. Like, you know, I couldn't imagine being, because the fan panels were basically just people zooming in from their house talking about particular fandoms and stuff like that. You know, and yeah. like, if you got the three like AM slot, God, that's gotta be like rough. Well, I'm I'm <laughs> because, old. Oh yeah, I'm old too. But the so funny I thing was, stay up way late. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing was, so in the video player, you could actually see how many people were watching the uh, you know the particular thing that you're watching. So yeah. like occasionally it would be like two hundred people watching it, or occasionally it would be like five people watching it and it's like oh okay <laughs> well you know you probably could have joined i think there was a discord um oh maybe 
for people. Like it was an unofficial thing. Like it oh, wasn't unofficial. Yeah, uh, where... but it, like it was on the DragonCon unofficial page, I think. Yeah, um, I'm sure you know when people want a space. A lot of people are very ingenuous, and they can make like spaces in. I mean, because that's what. Yeah, we like ended I take your doing. point. Like it, it would be good, like with Adult SwimCon, like you were saying for. For people to interact with with them in a in a live capacity, exactly, exactly, and um, you know, I think though, like people made their own spaces. Like we mm-hmm. ended up um, sort of like having a Zoom room with a couple friends watching the masquerade and stuff like yeah. that, which was super enjoyable. Um, and it's interesting because so I watched the masquerade as well as the um, parade because Dragon Con always has their traditional parade where they march a bunch of people downtown Atlanta, which is the craziest <laughs> thing to ever see. And the great thing about that is it's free, so you don't even have to like be a part of the con. Yeah. Um, I had previously uh, entered the, um, the parade, and it is one of the like funnest things I've ever done, just because like everybody comes out and like you see kids in their halloween costumes you just see like (laughs) all sorts of like different people from different walks of life coming to watch this parade with all sorts of media characters and everybody's super like happy like it's one of like the most feel-good sort of vibes that uh that that i've had like participating in the parade and everything like that um and it's something i'm I'll definitely do again, um, you know, when cons actually become a thing again. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was really cool because for this year, they had people, like, filming themselves in their backyard, like, sort of, like, walking across their uh, backyard. And, like, some people had set up, like, chairs with their stuffed animals or toys or things along those lines and, like, pretended that they were, you know, part of the crowd so it's really interesting to see like how people made it so creative in like these weird times and how people become innovative. But there were a lot of great panels. I watched like some cartooning panels. I ended up watching some like anime fan panels. Um, it really did like spark. That specific track looked like it was really popping with content. Yeah, like, what you know, so you know the anime yeah the the, yeah yeah. so usually with dragon con they will split up their uh content there's like an anime section there's like a media like a d or like yeah there's there's like more than 35 different tracks yeah (laughs) it's insane how specific some of them get (laughs) so um with this there was definitely less events But I feel like the events that they did pick out for, like, the main event or for the main panel, for, like, the fan panels were the strongest. So it wasn't, like, you know, obscure anime panel where, like, three people would go to or something like that. Like, you know, all of these panels were the strongest hitting panels because there's only so many panels you can have. So they're going to put their best ones out there. Right, right. But yeah, it it definitely, you know, like Dragon Con's a big thing for me. It's a a place where I can, you know, be part of the fandom, where I can, you know, 
learn things, go and see things, and it definitely filled that that need a little bit. I definitely miss the whole social aspect because I see a lot of friends when I go down there, you know, your con friends that you usually only see during cons. So so I definitely miss it that aspect, but it was um it was a nice substitute for for the real thing. And you know, two thousand and twenty one, that's it's going to be the year that everything comes back. <laughs> You know, I'm probably I not hope. going to go. Ne- yeah, I hope as well. I hope they can get a, a vaccine and, and everything. But but uh, I don't know if I would go to Dragon Con next year just because it's going to be so crazy in terms of attendance and people yeah. pent up and not being able to, to go I mean, for I'm a year. I mean, I'm still going. Like, like I said, I yeah. got all of this like because, you know, we had planned for the podcast to go to a bunch of conventions and oh, I love so cosplaying. I know. <laughs> I love cosplaying, so like I have a bunch of like cosplaying outfits that I will just have to use for next year. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, this yeah, just, uh, it, just gets more more uh, mileage out of your costumes that you do have. That's right. That's right. But, <laughs> but yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad that they did it. You know, I'm glad that they made the decision to go virtual. And I, I think that they pulled it off pretty well. The only criticism I would give them is to like have some sort of chat feature so people could interact with each other who enjoy yeah. the fandom. Instead of like, you know, you feeling like solo just kind of staring at a screen. Yeah, I mean I'll I will say having having done a couple of virtual onlys um that have been pains in the ass to set up. Mm-hmm. Um Getting that, getting DragonCon set up uh, was really smooth. What I did is I turned on my PS4, mm-hmm. went to the browser, went to dragoncon.tv slash virtual, and they had the three different ones. And so I just selected main programming and then the masquerade started playing. Yeah. yeah like it, it was, was very, it was painless setup. <laughs> yeah. I mean, their technical like um, department did a fantastic job. Of course there were, you know, technical difficulties. There are always like, even at, a, even at the main con, there are technical difficulties, difficulty, like when it's yeah. in person. So, and I mean, they've been doing it for 30 plus years. So yeah, like, technical hiccups happen like with it being virtual only, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised there weren't way more. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was like I was really impressed with like the technical skills that they had to like put this together and everything, and, well, and how easy the, they made it to like access. Yeah, which is especially impressive to me, given that it's all fan. Like I know a lot of people do this in their day job, and they are professionals, mm-hmm. but it's all fan run. Whereas like, you know, adult swim con had significantly more technical issues, less yeah. content mm-hmm. and is the professional outlet. Right? Exactly. Um, not saying there was anything wrong with adult swim con, but no, just comparing no. the two less content and more technical issues is not great. <laughs> yeah. And they even used the platform, like the Twitch platform, which, you know, is pretty streamlined. All you have to do is like get an OBS software and you can pretty much and you can start Twitch. running it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, DragonCon was it's you know, they were streaming on their own website, which I'm not even sure like the technical aspects of that. So 
I, I give them major props on it. I definitely think, you know, the content that they put out there was really good content. Um, it really, like, it felt good. It, it felt good to, like, watch a couple of uh, panels that I enjoyed. And like I said, my only criticism would be, like, have some sort of chat feature. Yeah. So people yeah. could interact with each other. But hopefully this will be the only time that they need to do this. And uh, everything will be... Um, not back to normal, but everything will be better in the yeah. near future. Yeah, hopefully everything is better. Um, with that, did you have anything else on no, Dragon? That, that was pretty much it. Uh, okay, I would again, if you're in the Atlanta area and you haven't been to Dragon Con, um, I would recommend like maybe going to the parade and just sort of like getting a. Get there early, like 6 a.m. early. Yeah. Um, And um, if, like, this fandom is near and dear to you, I would recommend going to Dragon Con. I think it's it's a fun experience. I think that there's so much to do that you don't get bored. And it was interesting because, like, sorry, uh, I'm going to go on with this, too. Um, So Dragon Con... um, allows people to play like games and stuff so there's a board game room and then there's like D sessions that you can sign up for or yeah. just not D, but like role-playing sessions that you can sign up for they actually incorporated that virtually for the um board game they set up a bunch of like virtual board game like there's a Steam that's really game. cool yeah where it's called like virtual board game, where you can import a bunch of like our assets into this, and then you can like move things around. It's very wonky, but you can play any board game off of that, like a board game or tabletop simulator. That's what it's called, tabletop simulator. Yeah. Which is super cool. Um, And then with the uh, D&D sessions, um, you would, you know, and you would have to purchase these things. Like you would have to purchase like entry into the board game or purchase entry into the um, D&D session. But you could purchase that and then they would give you like a um, Google Hangout room to go into and you could role play from, you know, your safety of your house. Yeah. So I really think that that was really like cool how they incorporated those aspects of Dragon Con into this virtual um, world. And they even had their vendors. They were all, you know, virtual vendors, but you, they would have like links to their websites and you could go and check out their wares and purchase things. So again, like they really thought of everything and, you know, for what, because they ended up making the decision, like, fairly later in the year so uh, you know i was a little worried that they would be under a time constraint to like put this all together but they knocked it out of the park yeah yep. yeah they definitely did at least from what i saw so yeah <laughs> but yeah that that's it for me that's now I'm done. okay well briefly because i i do i think this would be interesting to watch uh, for a main episode, so I'm, I'm not going to cover it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you will probably have to do it when we can actually meet up in person, unless you're willing to get a Shutter subscription. 
because it's a show through Shudder. Knowing you're not a horror fan, um, you don't need Shudder. But I do have it via my Shudder app. Um, So, so, uh, yeah, it's called Blood Machines. Um, It's funny that it's on Shudder because it's not at all a horror movie. It's um, interesting. I would liken it to like a story you would see in heavy metal magazine. Um, It's very weird, like French comic book, sci-fi weird. Um, The whole thing is that like in the far flung future, there are these ships that have AI that are uh, embodied by women. Um, Okay. And sometimes they reach apotheosis and it's only a three episode thing. So it's like less than an hour worth of watching, but um, yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool movie um, or show. Uh, <laughs> I think of it as a movie because I just watched it one sitting because it's not very long. Is it um, just one season or do they plan? Uh, it's on just one season. season. They, they may make another one, but um, the, this first season is well-contained enough mm-hmm. and, considering it's an independent movie that was bought by a French studio and then sold to Shutter, yeah. um, It's got really cool special effects. Like it looks like a bunch of Jean Girard uh, stuff from, from old, old heavy metal. Um, nice. But, uh, but yeah, I highly recommend that. We'll pro- I kind of want to nominate that as a, uh, as an actual full on episode for some point in the future, um, okay. but it'll have to be a far flung future where, this pandemic is cured and we can sit together on a couch. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's not too far, far for long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it'll be a lot closer if everyone would wear their masks. Um, yeah, definitely be safe out there. Be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, our book club book is zeros by Chuck, Chuck Windig. Um, and you can find us on Facebook and Apple and Google uh, is backrow super show that's four separate words and then the email is backrow super show at gmail.com so with that we will see you guys in a couple weeks to talk about shining force 2 yeah all right <laughs> see you guys bye bye, bye.